Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I've just been to the optician because I thought that I was going blind, but turns out, well, this is going to be hard to believe, but turns out I've just been on the computer too much. And that's why my vision has gone slightly blurry. <laughs> Nothing to be concerned about. She was like, maybe have a break. Do you know what was so bad? She asked me how long, like how many hours a day I spent looking at a screen. I was like, I mean, realistically, kind of from about 8am until 8pm with like some breaks, but not many breaks. That is a lot. That is really quite bad. And actually, 8pm was was probably a little bit generous to myself. (laughs) Probably like 10pm. Oh gosh, I need to change that. Anyway, this episode is mostly about maintenance and more broadly my ethos to dieting. And I am sure I will go on many tangents. So buckle up. Oh God. (laughs) Sometimes I can hear myself saying stuff and I'm like, you're so unbelievably uncool. But authentic. (laughs) One of the problems with dieting is that people see an end point to a diet. So they think of a diet as a fixed period of time. Now, if you want to maintain your results, and do remember that the definition of a successful diet is weight loss maintenance six months after you finish a diet. So when we look at research, like that's how they're defining a successful diet is weight loss maintenance. So maintenance defines the success of your diet, not how much weight you lost in six weeks. So if you want to maintain results, which you should want to do, that is unsurprisingly going to require maintained effort to some degree. Now, the good news is that it becomes easier. So if you're starting a diet and you're like, I don't think I could maintain this level of effort for a very long time, don't worry because things get easier. Part of that's habits. Part of it's because obviously you won't be in a calorie deficit forever. In fact, I'm going to use hunger as an example because I got a question on my story today that was, will I always be hungry when dieting? And I thought this was quite a timely question to answer given that Commit to Six has just started and the EC method will start in a couple of weeks as well. And I think sometimes people become overwhelmed because the start can be quite hard, for sure. Like you're trying something new, it's quite overwhelming. Maybe you're eating substantially less than you did before. And feelings of hunger are one of the key reasons that people give up on their diets. But the good news is that just because you're finding your diet hard at the moment, that doesn't mean you always will. And there are a number of reasons that hunger might actually reduce as you continue to diet. So one of these is your sensitivity to hunger signals and satiety signals. And part of the reason for this is if you're very overweight and carry a lot of body fat, what might be happening is you are quite insensitive to the presence of leptin, which is a hormone that is produced by fat cells. And the higher levels of leptin, basically high leptin levels tell the brain that you have enough energy. 
so you don't need to continue to eat. Now, this is a sort of longer term. It's not like acute energy. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not like acute levels of hunger. It's like longer term levels of hunger. So when you get very lean and you don't have much body fat, there's less leptin around and that's telling the brain that, you know, we really need to find some food pretty quickly because otherwise we're going to starve. Now, you might be thinking, right, so if you were overweight, surely you would have more leptin and thus you would be less hungry. Yes, in theory, you are following correctly, but unfortunately what can happen is that if there is chronically high levels of leptin, so if you've been overweight for a very long time, what can happen is you become resistant or your brain becomes less sensitive to the presence of leptin. So it can't hear that signal as well. And as you start to lose weight, you become more sensitive to the presence of leptin again, and thus your hunger levels are reduced. So that is one reason why continued dieting can actually reduce your hunger levels. The second part is getting used to smaller portions which is pretty self-explanatory, but you may realize that smaller portions do actually fill you up. And often it's the behaviors around how you eat. So for example, eating very quickly or not allowing yourself to recognize your hunger signals. I'm extremely bad for this. And actually something I struggle with when dieting, I wouldn't say struggle with, I more just sort of notice that this is a tendency. And I think a lot of people get this is that once you start eating, it's harder to it's hard to stop eating. And then once you stop and you wait for 10, 20 minutes, you're like, oh, I am actually full after that normal sized portion. I didn't have to keep eating. But it's that stopping and pausing after a portion. And then if you're still hungry after 20, 30 minutes, sure, go back and have some more food because maybe that is legitimate hunger and you need some more energy. But usually what happens, or in my experience, if I stop eating, go do something else for 10 minutes, I'm absolutely fine. It's just like that initial, I probably could eat more right now because my hunger hasn't, or sorry, my satiety hasn't caught up with me yet. Which makes a lot of sense. I mean, you don't eat something and immediately become full. It takes a little bit of time for your body to catch up with that. The next reason that you might feel less hungry as you continue to diet is that you might start making better food choices, which will make you fuller for longer. I think that's M&S, isn't it? Fuller for longer range. Anyway, they've got a point there. So for example, home prepared meals generally have less calories in, so you can eat more of that, i.e. a higher volume of food. Plus if you've increased your protein, this will all reduce your hunger while allowing you to stick to your diet. And then one of the big ones, I think, is turning behaviours into habits. So if you consistently practice a behaviour, it will become habitual, meaning it requires less conscious effort to complete that behaviour. So for example, if you normally snack loads and you've just started commit to six and you're like, I'm going to try and stick to three meals a day and a pre-workout protein shake and a piece of fruit. Let's say it's that. Initially, you might find avoiding snacking in between those meals really quite tough. And maybe there will be the, the urge to snack quite frequently. 
but if you stick to that for a period of time and i this varies from person to person and depending on how hard the the previous habit is to break i pick up habits very quickly which can be a good or a bad thing by the way but i would say if you can do that for a week it will become so much easier so the first week of not snacking between your meals might be quite hard but by week two it almost becomes the norm and you no longer have those urges between meals because you're just like this isn't a time when i eat and a good example of that is like most people don't get up in the middle of the night to eat and actually that's a bad example because you're completely unconscious i guess an example for me would be i don't eat after my last meal so after my last meal of the day so like my dinner (laughs) that's not even true anymore (laughs) oh god right This was a good example for me. I used to not eat after dinner. Now I have a piece of toast before bed. Hashtag bulking life. Um, But that very quickly becomes just a habit. It's like a time of day where you just wouldn't eat. It's not that I had to consciously make sure I wasn't eating after dinner. It was just, it just became habitual. Probably explained that very badly, but I think you get the gist. And then finally, this is more anecdotally, I find that clients tend to find it easier to stick to lifestyle changes the longer they practice them. Because they, probably because of all the things I've just said, like they start to fit their diet around their life instead of their life around their diet, which is a very important distinction to make. They also get in tune with their hunger signals and discover that maybe they weren't actually as hungry as they thought behaviors become more habitual they start to enjoy the positives that come with long-term healthy lifestyle changes and then they're motivated by their own progress oh now someone is um mowing the lawn outside i swear my fact is mow the lawn mm, probably twice a week like is that necessary no they've also already been past my window so i'm unsure why they have returned anyway i will note here that as much as i say hunger can reduce while dieting it can obviously also increase because if you're trying to get very lean and thus leptin levels are legitimately very low then your hunger will stay high like your body's going to defend the energy that it's got left so there's not really any avoiding hunger if you want to get excessively lean or you're competing in a body comp uh, bodybuilding competition comp- <laughs> bodybuilding competition or anything like that like you're probably just going to have to grin and bear it but it's less of a problem because you aren't looking to maintain that level of leanness. So it's a short-term sacrifice for obviously a goal that you're working towards. Okay, so I told you there would be tangents, but I wanna come back to more, actually, these are two principles I like to live life by. Number one, I mean, not sure I mention it very much, probably a new concept to everyone that listens to the podcast, but imperfect action. But then the second part of imperfect action is to continuously iterate on that. And by that, I mean continuously tweak things to optimize things because situations change, because life is diverse, because life is fluid. 
you're you always have to monitor and adapt or iterate so i am going to talk in this podcast largely about how to apply this to dieting and as i've said one of the problems with dieting is that most people envision an end point to their diet and to an extent obviously they are right the fat loss phase will come to an end especially if you're any good at fat loss but then to maintain those results you can't just go like revert back to your previous behaviors because that's what put you in the position you needed to diet in the first place and that's why working on behaviors is so important because the numbers might change, i.e. the amount of calories you're eating, the amount of steps you do, the workouts you do. I'm gonna come on to all of these. But the behaviors, the fundamental behaviors are very similar. So quite clearly, your actions will dictate your results. So you, although you might be doing fewer steps and fewer workouts, please notice I said fewer, not less. Well done me, learning and you will be eating more calories, but the fundamental behaviors of staying active, of being mindful of what you eat, those will remain if you want to maintain your results. Body composition maintenance is a lifelong process that requires constant iteration. And this doesn't mean you're going to be constantly dieting in the sense that most people see dieting, i.e. most people think of it as a horrible experience for a finite period of time that you're punishing yourself for. That's a problem in itself. But it does mean that to maintain, you need to make the adjustments necessary. So maintenance should always be the end goal, obviously, unless you're trying to do a bodybuilding competition. But maintenance is a range, not a defined number or body fat percentage or dress size or, you know, however you're measuring your end goal. You're always going to fluctuate a little bit. So don't get fixated on a certain number on the scale. This is another reason. I mean, there's a million I could mention, but this is another reason I don't like set scale weights or scale weight goals. Like you're going to be sitting in a you're going to be sitting in a range so by this notion and this way of thinking about it there isn't an end of a diet per se and I think the problem with the end of a diet is that will inevitably mean that you're constantly on a diet or off a diet and you just end up feeling fatigued drained and like you've been dieting for your whole life what we want to do is get you to a point where you're just tinkering and optimizing as you go. Rather than being on a diet and off a diet, think of it as you're just simply adjusting to course correct. So for example, if you were driving a car, you wouldn't go miles the wrong way before you turned around to come back the other way. If you think you're going the wrong way, you would adjust en route and course correct. Another analogy for this I like is a thermostat. So instead of letting your house turn into a sauna or feel like the North Pole before you adjust the heating, you're going to adjust to stay in a comfortable range. Likewise, you adjust your diet to stay within a healthy range. And 
in the same way that most people don't think of the temperature in their house as an optimal temperature of x degrees there also isn't an optimal weight of x kilograms there's a comfortable range for both and this is what long-term maintenance looks like and i mean you could take this analogy even further because maybe there are times of year where you do want to be a little bit heavier where you don't mind carrying a little bit more body fat like in the winter and maybe there are times of year where you do want your house a little bit warmer and you do want to have the celsius slightly higher the heating on more frequently like in the winter and then in the summer maybe you use the heating less and maybe you want to be a little bit leaner because you're going on a couple of holidays again it's just small little optimizations as opposed to i'm on a diet i'm off a diet i'm on a diet i'm off a diet so you just adjust as you go if you feel too hot you turn the heating down if you feel uncomfortable you cut back on the snacks a little bit once you're in a maintenance range that is literally as complicated <laughs> that is literally as complicated as it needs to be think of it like homeostasis which will mean very little to people who don't like biology but that's essentially what we're looking at here staying in a range it's much like how your body keeps glucose in a range if you're healthy or how your body controls its hydration levels that's why when you drink a lot you will pee a lot because your body likes to keep it quite a tight regulation on how hydrated you are however you can sway a little bit and when you do you become thirsty because the body's like mm, yeah a little bit hydrate dehydrated here let's drink a little bit more and then when it's had enough you stop being thirsty or you pee out excess so that you can stay within that range that the body prefers do we think that that's enough analogies i think that's probably enough analogies so you don't need to track your calories to do this i don't track my calories and i don't think long term it's a particularly enjoyable thing to do or something that we should need to rely on i think tracking calories is an education tool to see how much calories are in certain foods it can be very eye-opening especially when it comes to portion sizes and it's also a very useful accountability tool but you don't need to do it long term however you like to diet you can change tweak adjust modify optimize it by iterating on what you're already doing reviewing what you're doing and making the changes needed to stay in that range and it's a little bit easier especially if you're not tracking if your diet is quite consistent if you have quite a consistent solid foundation then it's very easy to just make little changes without overhauling your whole diet now if you have no idea of a starting point this is where a calorie calculator can be useful so you can put in your details into there that will give you a bit of a foundation a sensible starting point and then you just optimize and tinker from there to make sure that it's right for you because that number that it spits out initially it's not personal enough to you to be right exactly right anyway and so you need to adjust that a little bit 
And this will probably need to be constantly changed because maybe you start a new job that you're less active in or maybe you start training for a marathon so you're more active. You'll always need to adapt these things slightly. And as I've mentioned, you don't need to track long term. I do think it's a useful tool. But if we look at what tracking gives you, it gives you accountability. It puts that pause between seeing something you want to eat and eating it because you have to think a little bit about, oh, I'm going to get my phone out. I'm going to log this. Oh, this is how many, this is how much energy is in this. This is how I need to be accountable to this. It gives you a bit of a pause to think, do I actually want to eat this before you put it in your mouth? It's also just useful because what gets measured is much easier to manage. It gives you a bit of data, but with mindful eating practices, and I don't even mean anything, I don't know, advanced by that. I just simply mean pausing and thinking about what you want to eat and if you want to eat it and sitting down when you eat and taking your time to eat you can get a lot of the benefits of tracking without tracking. Now I want to come on to the training side. So a mistake I see a lot of people make, maybe a mistake is harsh, something I see a lot of people struggle with is doing too much exercise and this can actually make fat loss and maintenance I don't know why I said it like that. I think I was going to say maintained fat loss, but maintenance much harder than it needs to be. Now, I will be the first to say that I absolutely love exercise. Some exercise is good. It's great. It's fantastic. If exercise was a pill, we would all be taking it. But too much exercise can actually hinder fat loss. And I work with a lot of women who come to me over-exercising and getting frustrated that they can't achieve their results despite training twice a day, but then also being stuck in this mindset of, if I reduce my training, that means my energy expenditure will go down, that means I won't lose as much fat or I'll put on weight. And I completely understand that because that makes complete logical sense. Like you will be reducing your energy expenditure if you reduce your training load. However, nine times out of 10, the problem here is that the excessive exercise has massively increased hunger to the extent that it's really hard to stick to your diet. And that then means that you're eating more and thus you're not in a deficit, deficit, (laughs) deficit, and you're not losing fat. And I think sometimes the pushback against this is someone will say like oh I did two sessions yesterday I didn't feel any hungrier this is a more chronic like long-term response to high energy output because your body notices that it's expending a lot of energy so it's drive to eat increases or it's your drive to eat increases to compensate for the level of energy expenditure you're putting out now that would be fine apart from unfortunately this increase in hunger that's often experienced after exercise is not directly proportional to the calories used during that exercise. Hunger tends to overshoot energy expenditure. It's probably, in fact, it's definitely an evolutionary survival mechanism because we were much 
more likely to die of starvation than we were to die of overeating. So your body's probably always going to want to overshoot that just to be on the safe side. And this is why, I mean, aside from the time that you spend exercising and your ability to actually recover and adapt to that exercise, I wouldn't suggest exercising multiple times a day because you're actually making it harder for yourself. Three to six times a week is fantastic. Any more than that, and you're probably erring on the side of making your diet harder than it needs to be, and potentially when you push up to sort of eight to 10 sessions a week, pushing into overtraining and under recovery as well. And I completely resonate with where you're coming from. If you're struggling to reduce your exercise, I used to train far too much, didn't get half the benefit from it, made it way harder to stick to my diet. But I was in that mindset of, well, if I exercise less, then I won't, you know, it wasn't even just the energy expenditure for me it was just well like I won't build as much muscle I won't get as much results because if I just work harder I'll just get more results and unfortunately it doesn't quite work like that and the reason I talk a lot about the law of diminishing returns is that it was a real clicking moment for me to realize that you know the more exercise I do doesn't necessarily mean the more results I get and then at some point that curve starts to come down the other side so it looks more like an inverted u curve i put up um, a story about this yesterday no i put up a post about this yesterday so go and have a look on instagram if you want to look at the training response so on one side you have your response to training and on the bottom you have your training load so how much how much volume you do within your training and the more and more volume you do the less return you get for each given unit of volume, for example. And then at some point, so after the peak, which would be your maximal recoverable volume, you start to actually get less results from doing more training because you're not able to recover from that training. So my current training is really short, really sharp sessions. At the moment, I think this is partly because I'm training at home and home sessions aren't that exciting. But at the moment, I do just enough to stimulate a response and not really that much more. I mean, if there's the odd day where I'm in the zone, I feel like doing a little bit more, sure I will. But most days, I would say I do no more than 20 minutes of training. First thing in the morning, all body weight I have a few five kilogram dumbbells sometimes I do some <laughs> bicep curls or lateral raises or something quite simple with those but the majority of it is just simply body weight work and that's what fits my goals and values at the moment and I have no real insane physique aspirations I'd like to build some muscle but it's not the highest on my list of priorities at the moment and my goal at the moment is effective training. What I want to get from exercise at the moment is to at least maintain muscle mass, is to at least maintain my health, is to take up not very much of my time because I'm busy doing other things. And I'm sure that that will change as I iterate. <laughs> no, it will change probably when the gym's open. 
but it's a pretty drastic shift from me maybe five years ago where I used to train twice a day and I would sort of feel stressed if I couldn't get into the gym even for I mean I, I was actually quite good at always having at least one rest day but if I couldn't get into the gym for a couple of days in a row that would hugely stress me out I'm sure that me five years ago would be looking at me now like you what have you become but I actually think for me it was just part of growing up and I guess my values and goals changing. I was actually a little bit reluctant to share this because I didn't know if it would be demotivating for people or if it's motivating. I can't, I don't know. I don't know if people will be like, oh, you know what? That's actually really reassuring that you don't have to train for hours a day. Or if people will be like, oh, ESG's so lazy. She only trains for 20 minutes a day. I do way more than that. So demotivating for me. I don't know. I guess we will see. <laughs> My point of sharing this really is that I want to show that you can achieve a lot with very little training. Now, to put this in context, that bear in mind, I did spend years and years lifting weights to build muscle. So there was a foundation of muscle there. I would say quite a lot of that was deteriorated during the last two years of back saga and very little training but that I think that there was certainly a foundation of muscle there and probably to an extent some muscle memory post-surgery from getting back into exercise. So I don't know if you could build, I mean, <laughs> I say as much muscle as I have, but I'm laughing because like I'm certainly not hugely muscular, but I don't know if I could have built all that off 20 minutes a day. I'm not sure, 20 minutes body weight a day, like maybe probably not, but it's enough to maintain. And this isn't just anecdotal, there is actually some really interesting research on minimal effective dose required for the stimulus of muscle building, I guess. That's a very strange way to say it. But you, I mean, there's various aspects that have been tested. So whether that's health markers, for example, increased insulin sensitivity with HIIT training, there's research that shows that you only need to do two five second max out sprints on the bike to increase insulin sensitivity and on a muscle building uh response side there's a study cameron et al 2012 which showed that one set to failure with 80 percent one rep max was as good as three sets for stimulating a strength response which I think is quite mind-blowing. I think Keith Barr has also done quite a lot of work on one set to failure and showing that the strength responses are quite similar to numerous sets. So you can do a hell of a lot less than you think and still get very good results, which will completely make sense to you if you go and look at the graph that I put up on Instagram recently showing that line of maximal recoverable volume but I guess what's interesting is how the gradient of that line plateaus out so you can see that you're getting so much more response from your first x amount of training and then any additional training that you do is giving you less and less benefit so if you are struggling with over exercising and getting your head around reducing your training volume 
In fact, I would just Google the law of diminishing returns and get your head around that. Like it is an economic principle. So it won't be talking directly about your training responses, but your training responses follow a very similar pattern. And I do warn you that if you get into this and actually what I'm going to talk about in the next podcast, which is using mental models to make better decisions, you may start to try to optimize like every area of your life. And apparently using mental models in a relationship isn't particularly romantic. Who knew? (laughs) But anyway, the vast majority of my life, including training, in fact, probably especially training, I try to optimize it so that I am putting my efforts where they get the biggest results. And I guess that's because I really like productivity. So my goal is to get the biggest outcome from the efforts that I put in, which means that as soon as the returns start to diminish, I weigh up the cost and benefit of doing more exercise or what else I could be doing with that time. And then usually after about 20 minutes, the cost of further exercise is higher than the benefit of doing something else. Just to add caveat to this, because I think it can quite easily become misinterpreted, which no doubt it will anyway. This isn't optimal for body composition. Like if you have some serious goals of building muscle, do not train in this way. You need to create more volume. And I probably will add volume when the gym's open, but to maintain, you don't need to do that much. And I think many people who are very passionate about fitness overdo the training, probably because they enjoy it. And you know what? Like that's a legitimate reason to keep training for longer than 20 minutes, for example. I guess my point here is like, I wanna break down the notion that you need to spend hours and hours exercising. I also want this message to be helpful to people who are maybe over-exercising at the moment and want to reduce the amount they're exercising but have like mental barriers stopping them do that hopefully this has been useful to you if that's you or if you know anyone who does struggle with that or if any of your clients do please do share the podcast with them that would be fantastic and please do share on your story if you've enjoyed this I love seeing that people have been listening to the podcast so that really helps with listens as well and sharing and other people enjoying the podcast (laughs) if you are interested in online coaching head to esgfitness.co.uk and it's also the last week that you can sign up for the early bird intake of eiq nutrition so if you're interested in nutrition or you're a personal trainer and you want to serve your clients better in terms of the nutrition delivery then get yourself signed up to EIQ Nutrition at eiqnutrition.com. And if you're interested in mentoring, so growing your business and helping more people and making more money, then head to appliedfitnessmentoring.com. 